house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Discover the most extraordinary story of all. First thing you have to understand about the curse. The house is sad. You should let it loose. Happens to be his own. We face up to the things we're afraid of because we can't go around them. Now, the past is emerging. Just your grandfather. Died young, 12 year old. Then he couldn't have been my grandfather. You're done a Newfoundlanders. A world is unfolding. Which of those women are in charge here? Somebody really ought to be supervising, don't you think? I'm Wavy Prowse. I run the place. Bumbling dad, humiliated in daycare. And a life is awakening. I don't believe in dwelling in the past. No? Then what are we doing here? Making a future. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only Frisk the Frigidaire, Clean the Cupboard Bear podcast. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my Jack Crawford editor, Joe Reed. (laughs) Uh, yeah, coughing up uh, uh, lungs full of water and resuscitating right before your eyes. That's Back me. to life. I completely forgot about that plot point, which is... Yep. It totally fully... thought he was dead, and I've definitely seen this movie before. Do they not do autopsies in Newfoundland? No, it's Newfoundland. Like, you just freeze to death and you're preserved forever. Like, I don't They're just like, well, I guess he's dead, but, it, you know, <laughs> days later, you can call They do things differently forward. around here, Christopher. Um, you don't know Newfoundlanders. You don't know. <laughs> do you think that Judy Dench got the best reviews for this movie because she was the only one who could really do the accent correctly? Well, and she also shows up in like, uh, I mean, she's Judy Dench as Agnes Ham as Zoe Wanamaker. Yes, <laughs> that's a good comparison. It's very Zoe Wanamaker, definitely. She is. We just a, gotta uh, say, Judy Dench, while by all reports, a heterosexual woman, is one of oh, our yeah. finest screen lesbians. It's true. It's true. She should get some kind of a Lifetime Achievement Award for that. I mean, this Notes on a Scandal is her best performance. 100%. Has she played a lesbian any other time? Was she a lesbian in with Mussolini? I mean, she wasn't canonically, but, like, sure. all of her roles where she's not explicitly heterosexual could feel like you could graft a a gay narrative onto them right we'll count queen elizabeth as well obviously yes. obviously um how dare you first of all bring up frisk the frigidaire clean the cupboard bear in the intro and remind me of a good julianne moore movie just as we are about to talk about <laughs> a quite bad julianne moore movie um <laughs> well what else am i supposed to do we always call back to our previous episode like this once again in very few months is the second maybe third time that we have accidentally done two back-to-back two back-to-back and this was again purely accidentally we wanted to we did it with kate winslet but like one of them there's yes. not really much to say about kate winslet for all the king's men and then we did right Carnage. 
Right. Obviously, you talk about Julianne Moore for prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. And, like, uh, I've called her my favorite actress, though it's also Uper that's my favorite actress, too. But right. um, there's not much to say about her in this movie. No, she definitely gets the short end of the stick narratively. We'll have a ton more to say about, obviously, uh, Judy and Kate Blanchett, who, holy mackerel, the the character arc that they give her to play in this Walking film. dive bar, Kate Blanchett in this movie. I wrote down, I... <laughs> I literally, I wrote this down and then I'm like, I must be cribbing this from somebody. But like, I just wrote Kate Blanchett playing a sentient used cocktail napkin, which is like, I know somebody has said that recently somewhere. So if I'm cribbing from you, take it as an homage. Um, It's, she's like the living embodiment of that Simpsons episode where Kirk and Luann Van Houten break up and Kirk is like, pretending like trying to like make it seem like he's living his great fabulous single life and he's at Moe's. I want you to meet my new special lady. Say hello to Starla. Can I have the keys to the car lover? I feel like changing wigs. Okay. That's Kate Blanchett (laughs) in this film. Like what just the, you first see her through like, some kind of like it's like a watery windshield, right, or whatever that like he first spots her, and it's like the only thing that's truly visible are her like raccoon eyes from the from the uh, eyebrow pencil. It's just, it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. a lot, especially in the same year where she played the queen of all fa- of all fairies. Like it's just, or elves rather, not fairies, elves, right? Lord of the Rings, yes. You being the expert now in Lord of the Rings because you've written about this professionally more than oh I boy, have, so. um, it, me the expert on Lord of the Rings who hates Lord of the Rings. Um, right. Okay, we don't. Maybe I'm saying this too early. Uh-oh. We always just kind of dive into things before we really dive into them. We do. We're talking about the shipping news, by the way. Uh, hi, happy 150th episode. We're finally doing the show. We will news. we'll commemorate it. We'll memorialize it. Don't worry, everybody. But the uh, point I yeah. want to say before we talk uh, 150 things. Uh, yes, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Kate Blanchett's really good at this movie. Wow, <laughs> she gets wow. It, she gets exactly the person she's supposed to be. It's like. I so, do think that she is really impressive in like what could basically be an ashtray character. Well, she make, that... like she like and like they're starting out in uh, Poughkeepsie, right? She really right. sells this like uh, Poughkeepsie uh, bar maiden, sex crazed, uh, irresponsible woman in a way that like you believe. It, even if it's like huge and like maybe it wouldn't seem so huge or like she was like putting it all out there if the movie uh was ever anything less than boring um but i, think I mean she's quite good <laughs> she does pop in a boring movie i will say i i i question i i have genuine questions about the value of knowing the assignment and nailing the assignment when the assignment is that vile and you are you are nina garcia right now i question your taste level i question your taste level 
the shipping news. Like, I don't know whether I need to put this right on Annie Parole or whether this was uh, a uh, a translation error by Lassa Hallstrom. But I like, would say I would say that's the movie's problem, not her problem. I think she does yes, her job well. Right. I just can't appreciate it because it is such a. It's just a terribly cliched character and it's she's terribly, also dead like, within the first 15 minutes thank god Spoiler i could alert. not have left that screen fast enough for me like honestly i was so stressed out by that character at all times um <laughs> and 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 helped in no way by spacey at his all-time worst terrible and just having absolutely not like, pay it forward terrible i think pay it forward is worse but he also has that dreadful monologue in that movie Right. But, like, this character, who I don't think he gets who this character is at all, and he just declines to make a choice, and he just sort of plays him as a, as a, as a whimper. and of Quite so, the wet rag. He's also so, miscast, too. Like, why would Wildly you miscast. Him? Why would you cast him as, like, a, like, meek, you know, scion of of Newfoundlanders who, like... I don't know, there's just, like, there's no no point in this character that I'm like, oh, that's a Kevin Spacey character. Like, absolutely not. It's just, I don't know. I've been watching, you know how I have my little YouTube binges. So the current strangest YouTube binge that I'm on now, that I totally, like, just clicked on one video, and now all of my suggested videos have just, like... um repeated and doubled upon themselves and now it's like it's all that youtube will suggest for me is people I make... you were gonna say you clicked on one video and suddenly it's tuesday ha, well i mean um also that but so people just make these compilation snl videos of like snl sketches and it's not just one person it's many many people but they're all the same format and all the titles are like snl moments that give me my life snl moments that like make it worthwhile to get up in the morning snl moments that whatever they're all the same like it's you know how sort of like tiktok has given everybody an algorithm as to how to get attention on the internet this is the same mostly by pointing at words Right, basically. But what happens in these videos, which I am like, I'm Boo Boo the Fool for, you know, clicking on them every time. But it's like, they all, like, so many clips repeat. So many clips show up on, like, 20 of these. I, like, watch them to see if they'll, like, have a new clip in there that, like, hasn't been on the other ones. I've still yet to see one that has included anything from the Lulu Diamond sketch with Melissa McCarthy, which I find, like... So, like, and there's a lot of, like, really recent stuff. There's a new video made, like, literally every day. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that's just, like, from the most recent episode, even. And, like, whatever. But it's, like... It's it's very familiar and very, like, just soothing to me in a way that, like, content that you've seen a billion times is soothing to you. But anyway, one of the things, one of the clips that shows up a lot is they, you know how SNL will do those, like, uh, uh, a sketch that is essentially, like, outtakes from the audition process for X movie, and it's just, like, an excuse to, like, let all their cast members do impressions. And the one was, like, outtakes from the Fifty Shades of Grey casting. And it was, um, do you remember John Milheiser, the, like, one season he sure. had yeah. on SNL? And he was doing John Cryer. Like, John Cryer was his, like, uh, impersonation. And Kate McKinnon 
was doing Jane Lynch. And so Milheiser's sort of like stuttering and stammering and sort of like being the joke being that like he's, you know, trying to like dominate Jane Lynch and like that's the visual juxtaposition that's funny. And finally, Kate McKinnon as Jane Lynch sort of like grabs the riding crop out of his hand and just goes, You're a wet disgrace. And I'm like, that's Kevin Spacey in this film. He's a wet disgrace. That's just all I can compare him to. That was a long way around for that like little summation, but I'm I'm glad we got there though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really glad, you know. Anyway, we wanted to do something special for episode 150. You guys, episode 150. First of all, how far we've come. I can't believe that we're already 50 episodes past the mother episode, which could have conceivably happened a week and a half ago in my memory. Exactly. I mean, like, I think, listen, if we survived all of COVID doing weekly episodes still, we're 50 episodes out from the mother episode. Just like, you know, uh, it felt like a huge thing for us to do 100 episodes. Now we're doing 150. I yeah. feel like we are New York City sewer rats at this point. We're never <laughs> going away. <laughs> nope. We're always there. Yeah. You know, it, it, like you're not even surprised to see a rat on the subway anymore. It's just no, there. That's right. It's just there. As that's are us. We. I'm, that's I'm us. selling us so well. I know, um, you're really comparing us to some really great things. I, I tend to think of uh, New York subway rats as a vision of strength, stability. You know, the world changes, but they're still there. Patience and faith. Are you going to do paciencia y fe like, for us? But like, <laughs> I'm not, though I could start weeping about how we will get Olga Meredith an Oscar this year. Um, Guys, we've got the assignment. Now let's carry it out to the to the end. we got to do this. Um, um but we wanted to do something special for 150, and at some point, on a long enough timeline, we were going to put the shipping news in enough read or listener polls that it was eventually going to win, but we didn't want to wait that long, and it's like the perpetual we, bridesmaid. We are not of two minds. I wanted to make a bit out of putting it in every listener poll we ever do and watching it get last place every time, because that, to I- me, is funny. But, like, get last place, but then have, like, a whole bunch of people in the comments being like, no, justice for the shipping news. And I would always, like, feel bad for that because, like, if you've been riding for us to do a shipping news episode, like, real God ones bless now. you. Real you real, exactly. You're a real one for that. And ultimately, you know I love to do these, what I call sort of, like, red meat pitched down the center of the plate. This had Oscar buzz movies. Your Captain Corelli's mandolins, and your Pay It Forwards's, and your um, all the pretty tulip fever, tulip fever. Right, exactly. These like just legendary swings and misses from movies that had all the pedigree in the world and just fell flat on their face. And it's like this movie really does epitomize the spirit of this podcast in a way and it's a founding text of this podcast it's a founding text there would not be a concept for this endeavor without movies like the shipping news which had so much like from the pulitzer prize winning novel and like multiple oscar winners in the cast future and at that point at that point who had won oscars judy no yes uh, Judy, Spacey. Kevin Spacey had two. 
Spacey uh, had two by this point. Judy had one. Lassa Hallstrom was one. coming off Shakala, which also I think kind of positioned this movie as like, yes, it has all the pedigree, but it was also in that prime position to be knocked down a peg instantly because people uh-huh. already had like anti Shakala yes. feelings. This is the thing. We talked about this a little bit with Pay It Forward, where it was Spacey and Helen Hunt coming off of their Oscars. So it was sort of like prime backlash material. And shipping news is the same way. We'll talk about the Lassa Hallstrom thing because it wasn't just shock a lot. It, it was, was also the, Cider House rules. It was too, the accumulation was like... of Cider House rules and then shock a lot back to back. And then this is the the very next year. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, absolutely not. And it's interesting because I think the Cider House rules, for whatever you want to say about it is a very watchable movie. I think it's an incredibly watchable movie with really interesting, like, performances and, like, a wonderful score and, you know, a vibe. And Shock A Lot, I don't think is as good, but is, like, fascinating. Shock A Lot's the one that I'll defend. I haven't seen Cider House Rules in a while um, that I could, like, speak to it specifically other than, like, generalizations of, like, basically buffs off all of the thorns that like John Irving has into this like sweet little abortion movie. Um, Which is interesting because he did the adaptation. He did the screenplay adaptation. Right, for it. right. But like it's kind of very formative for what Lassa Hallstrom movies would become. Yeah. That they're just this glossy, uh sappy how many um, Lassa Hallstrom movies is this for us now? Is this oh boy. just two? I mean, we're hitting we're hitting six movies for Judy Dench. I feel we'll like we're about getting close second. to Lassa Hallstrom. Let me look right. up his filmography. I meant to do this before. And we I definitely did an unfinished life. Um, we haven't done any of his talking dog movies. We did salmon fishing in the Yemen, right? Um, so I think this is our third. But there's yeah. a bunch of other ones of his that are like. On like in the queue at some point. Like at some point, I think we're going to get around to doing something to talk about, and I think at some point we'll get around to doing the hundred foot journey. And Lord knows, Nutcracker in the Four Realms will seduce us <laughs> to do something at some point. So we've got some possibilities. Nutcracker sure. in the Four Realms would be another opportunity that we could talk about why we need a uh, choreography Oscars because that's True. like the best thing about that movie. True. So, Lassa Hallstrom. Oh, so my thing about Lassa Hallstrom is sometimes the shipping news sort of gets roped in with this like three year triptych of Cider House Rules, Chocolat, shipping news being like all of these like Oscar bait, sort of like similarly um, bad movies essentially this like this run of Lassa Hallstrom is when everybody sort of decided that like we you know we've got his number hussy like that kind of a thing and my contention is that that really really undersells how bad the shipping news is like the shipping news by yeah. is by magnitudes worse than the other two absolutely and it's just it's both boring and, like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like, it's both There's some cringy shit that I even forgot about in this movie. And the thing is, like, have you read the book or any of no, Annie Poole's books? I don't. I, I don't read. No, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I I'm, I apologize for constantly um, bringing up that topic that you, yeah. you don't read. Um, right. 
Uh, I read this book as a kid, of course, because I was an early Oscar obsessive. I knew this movie was coming. I knew Julianne Moore was going to be in it. So, of course, I'm like, I'm going to stay in this movie. And I read the book and I flipped for the book. The book's beautiful. But it's just one of those things that is like, especially if you're not doing a level of magical realism it's just going to be ridiculous. So much of it is ridiculous. Like, Well, and it's one of those things, even just watching the movie and not having read the novel, even if I didn't know it was based on a novel, I would have from just watching the movie. Because there are movies that struggle with adapting novels in a very particular way where novels are really allowed to be so... Like, to really, like, go with symbolism and metaphor and stuff in a way that feels very right and allows your mind to sort of like make these connections and you know you sort of fall into the world of that book because it takes a while for you to read it you know what i mean you're not Mm -hmm. reading it in two hours and i think movies by their nature even movies that like like don't necessarily aren't necessarily super grounded in reality so much has to be literalized just to have a movie because you have you know all of a sudden you have a fixed picture in front of you i mean especially Um, if you have a literalist filmmaker like lassa hallstrom which like isn't always true there is this kind of note of magical realism to shakala that i think actually makes the movie more interesting than people give it credit for it makes it more um enjoyable too but so much of this movie just feels like I'm not seeing a story, I'm seeing a metaphor. I'm not seeing, like, that revelation about the Coil family and the fact that, like, Spacey's character is so plagued with, like, these, like, he'll, like, have visions of, like, his ancestors being, like, pirates in Newfoundland Bay or whatever. And it's just, like, it's so hard for me to buy that from that character. Like, why would mm-hmm. he be so ravaged by this? But it's like, but well, it, there's nothing has... in the performance that suggests he has any type of inner life, which is right. not true of the novel. But it's also the fact that like, all of a sudden now the movie needs this character. Who's like a, you know, flesh and blood person played by an actor. We know to be so wrapped up in these like notions of like generational guilt and like family curses and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, probably works in a novel as you know sort of like metaphor made you know into a narrative and in this it just makes no sense it just makes absolutely no sense and no it doesn't feel like real people it doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. we're watching a thing about people we're watching you know like interconnected metaphors just sort of like trapes across our screen and like the house is bolted down by cables or else it's gonna blow away you see the flashback to the coil family dragging this entire house across the ice it's just not um good I mean, the thing that fills the gaps when you're reading the novel is, like, Annie Prohl has this really, like, sparse lyricism to the language of the book and, like, this really, like, uh, specific lens on these characters who, like, live these very simple lives but, like, are still human people, whereas they don't really have any humanity in the movie. Um, 
that it's just like Lassa Hallstrom is it gives such a like boring take on this material that it's like you can't kind of even invest in character or like there's not a ton of real plot going on but it's just like it's just one of those type of adaptations where the novel is rightly praised and partly it's because of the language in a way that doesn't translate or isn't translated by the take of the director Mm -hmm. that just like is so boring so boring yeah and then it like parts like the Kate Blanchett character stand out even more and feel so much more vulgar maybe than even they would in a movie that has a better handle on tone and i don't know i just feel like she gets such a she, it's such a thankless performance from her because it's just like to what end is she sort of going all out like this like it's just there's no there's no reward for it the well, most she wins rewarding these critics prizes this year where they're like lumping yeah. her billion performances that year together as one and like at the time i was like why are they putting the shipping news in these um but i get it now especially for like it makes sense to mention her for 3 or 4 or 5 or however many movies she did in 2001 because the range is there i think yeah. she's always one of the more interesting performers in all of those movies let's hop to the other end of the sh- the plot description before we talk about kate's 2001 because i think that's a longer conversation i do want to say the most um rewarded if hers is the most thankless role in the film the most rewarded role in the film uh belongs to jason bear's sweaters because they get to be <laughs> draped over jason bear in this movie which good for them um, that was one of the delights for me of this movie was watching like full on just like I think he was probably doing Roswell at this point in his career and just like taking a break from doing teen drama on the WB to go like freeze to death in Newfoundland playing the young one of this like grizzled team of, you know, whatever maritime uh, newspaper men. It's funny. Anyway. Jason Bear. Jason Bear, so hot. All right, so guys, we are on our 150th episode, finally talking about The Shipping News, directed by Lassa Hallstrom, uh, written by Robert Nelson Jacobs, adapted from Annie Proulx's uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. We will get into that. Okay, so before I even run down this cast list, (laughs) I feel like you can't really say who is in the movie without also giving their character names well let's i'm not gonna like bother with too many character names in the plot description because i'm really flying by night so (laughs) do you want to give the character names in this rundown and just sort of marinate in them all right go for it uh everybody uh lock yourselves in uh brace yourself for some names craziest fucking names in creation um, okay, so it stars Kevin Spacey as Coyle. That is his last name. We never know the character's first name. We sure do not. Julianne Moore as Wavy Prouse. Judy Dench as Agnes Ham. Agnes Ham. I.S. Not uh, Ag- Agnat Agnes right. Ham. Yes, Ham. Ham! Uh, Kate Blanchett as Petal. Uh, Pete Poslethwaite as Turt Card. 
excellent with and credit in this movie with Pete Postlethwaite yeah. and Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett. Fantastic. Yeah. Who among us? Uh, Scott Glenn as Jack Bugget. Reese Fonz as Bowfield Nutbeam. Mm-hmm. Gordon Pinsent as Billy Pretty. Gordon Pinsent is really pretty, though. What a handsome. I mean, man. yeah, just a dreamboat. Jason Bear as Dennis Bucket. Uh, and then the two actresses that play uh, Kevin Spacey's daughter, they're twins, uh, Alyssa and Caitlin Gaynor as Bunny Coil. It's just a real goddamn menagerie of bullshitty names in this. <laughs> Bull- like, uh, a menagerie of consonants and vowels strung and together. It's one of those things where it's like, I guess the joke is that everybody has these really whimsical names to live in the least whimsical place on the planet Earth. Like, maybe that's, like, the gag. But it's so, it just, not, like... I don't know. I don't know Reese anybody Fons who would. has Nutfield City Limit. Nutbush City Limit. Nut... <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody would look like a wavy, but, like, I don't know that Julianne Moore, like, embodies a woman named Wavy. Wavy Prouse. Her name is Wavy and she has straight hair. Make it make sense. Me. <laughs> That's it. I'm out. This movie's lost me. Um... Right, because, like, the idea that, like, Kate Blanchett's character's name is Petal, which is, like, the most, like, soft and delicate and beautiful thing you can imagine, and she is, again, just, like, seven ashtrays stitched together as a person, and... Mm. A dried bottle of mascara. (laughs) Just, like, the hole in a uh, pair of fishnets. Like, that is Kate Blanchett's character in this film pedal get it ironic yeah um it's a fun supporting cast like i love if there was a part of a version of this movie that i would love it probably would exist within the um for like which sounds crazy because like there are three oscar-winning actresses in this movie and what do i gravitate more towards but oscar-winning actresses but like the part where it's like Reese Fonz, Gordon Pinsent, Scott Bayer, Scott Glenn, sort of like Pete Postlethwaite, like making a maritime newspaper together. I'm like, that's the closest that this movie comes to feeling like a movie that works. And yeah, ultimately, where, it it's, where it suddenly becomes a newsroom movie. Right. Essentially. Yes. Essentially. And like, there's a whole subplot about like Pete Postlethwaite being like in the bag for oil tankers or whatever that like I did not have time to really pay attention to. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, there's like two minutes of this movie where it's maybe anti capitalist. Well, and, and like Reese Fonts has these like big dreams. To maybe I don't know. I, let me I, let me do. He the has these big dreams of going to the gin house outhouse. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he has big dreams of traversing beyond the city limits of uh, of Nutbush of, of Nutbeam. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. I normally will make notes when I do. Uh, 60 second plot description because there's a lot of information to get in and i tend to stammer when i joe's get notebook is like a swirl of ink like uh something from the ring watching this it movie. is all of a sudden i like i fugued out for two hours and then i woke up and it was just like there was no it white covered space in left blood. on my paper yeah um i did not make notes for this one i've decided because it's episode 150 um 
I thought I'd uh, just I'd wing it on your sixty second chance. plot description. I'll just wing it. I'm just gonna wing it. Yeah. We'll All right, Joe. On that note, then, are you yeah. ready to give a sixty second plot description of the shipping news? I mean, no, I'm not. But like, I'm gonna. So, yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, let's get into it. Your sixty second plot description of the shipping news starts now. All right, Kevin Spacey plays this, like, weeping dishrag named Coyle, and he lives in Poughkeepsie, and he his father was terrible and mean to him, and he's, like, doesn't react well to that. And he marries Kate Blanchett, who's mean and cheats on him constantly and does has no interest in raising their daughter, Bunny. And she eventually, like, abducts the daughter and takes her away to, like, run away with this guy, and then she dies in a car accident, and she had sold the daughter to, to the black market, and that was... Uh, traumatic for Coyle and in the same literal day both of his parents commit suicide together and then 30 seconds. Judy Dent shows up as his aunt and and wants to move the whole group to Newfoundland and he's like fine and they do and it's super cold and he gets a job at the newspaper there covering shipping news and he does pretty well at that and he meets Julianne Moore whose name is Wavy Prouse and their children are friends and they're like sort of like uh, romantically involved seconds. and they find out that his dad uh, who is Judy Dent's brother like raped her and she had to like abort that child and they're like like family guilt and then their house blows away and then they decide they're going to stay in Newfoundland and start and over because whatever I skipped a whole lot about a decapitated millionaire on a yacht and Hitler's yacht on Hitler's yacht about Scott Glenn coming back to life after drowning about Reese Fons wanting to go to Brazil about um what other stuff did I skip just like fully skip I don't know the stuff with Hitler's yacht, Coyle doesn't necessarily sell it like, hey, isn't this awful? These people still own Hitler's yacht and are gross people. It's just kind of like, hey, isn't it cool that Hitler's yacht is here? I was like, what are you doing, man? Yes. But that's like what gets him like ahead as a uh, Newfoundland journalist. Also, uh, the Larry Pine character who plays the the owner of the yacht, the the husband who owns the yacht. Also, Janetta Arnett plays his wife, who I mostly know from. She was in Boys Don't Cry, but she was also in that sitcom Head of the Class on sure. ABC. Anyway, um, but Larry Pine's character has like the Cruella disease, where he has two toned black and white hair, and I really was like, I wanted that tie-in to just like oh he's cruella's real father like (laughs) um they weren't gonna tie that in which is too bad um yeah all of a sudden that becomes like a subplot and again in a novel subplots you know tend to work better there's more time to sort of like have it kind of like marinating there in the background for a while and in this one it just feels like a detour and you it it's very hard to know what exactly the main point of this movie is. Like, obviously, he's moving to Newfoundland and he needs to, like, build a life for him and his daughter and also, like, stop being such a goddamn mess and move beyond this, like, traumatic childhood of his and whatever. But, like, it's so loosely, like, thrown together. And just in no way satisfying i i wonder 
what the editing process was like for this movie. I wonder if there's whole chunks of it that were left out. Because the movie's not too terribly long. It's not that long. long. Right, exactly. I Without don't think credits, it... it's like a buck 45. It's Yeah, yeah. That, like, I wonder if this was also another, like, Harvey Scissorhands type of situation. Like, it's very possible. We need to talk about It definitely feels like the authorial voice on this movie is Harvey Weinstein. I mean, yes. And I think that felt like the case with all of Lassa Hallstrom's movies from this era. Yes. Where they all felt like Harvey Pet Projects. Um, so... I sort of interrupted our talk about Cape Blanchett's 2001, but we should revisit that because this was a big one. You mentioned she'd won a National Board of Review Prize for Supporting Actress, which sort of combined this film, The Shipping News, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and then The Man Who Cried. So, like, one incredibly successful film, two incredibly not successful films. Like, The Man Who Cried, I can't remember whether it was... Both poorly reviewed and nobody saw it, or just nobody saw it. But um, I don't think it got a very wide release. Is yeah. the other thing? Oh yeah, thirty five percent rotten on rotten rotten tomatoes. So yeah, it did not. Uh, I remember because right, that's Johnny Depp and uh, Christina Ricci, and yeah, nobody liked the man who cried. Um, Sally Potter, great filmmaker, but uh, this was not a highlight. Um, but also that year in non-supporting performances, which also like I guess credit to NBR for not like totally just like roping in lead performances in their group As other award, which did. sometimes they do, sometimes they do. Um, Bandits, where you could I could see somebody sort of like bullshitting that she's uh, supporting in that because she's not one. You of the mean like male SAG? <laughs> oh, did SAG put her in supporting? I know the Globes SAG put her in supporting. Didn't the Globes Bandits. nominate her as a lead actress? Yes, lead comedy. Yeah. She's the only good part of Bandit. Actually, I should take it. Bandits Bandits is fine. I should watch it just for her. Bandits is cute. Bandits, but she definitely has the highlights. She chops vegetables to holding out for a hero. It's a whole mood. Um, (laughs) Find that clip on YouTube. It's worth it. And then she did the Gillian Armstrong movie Charlotte Gray that I've never seen, but she's like trying to like. Is she a spy in Vichy France? Or is she just sort of like espionage movie? She's just trying to right. She's doing something to like thwart the Nazis. It's one uh, of those uh, Kate Blanchett movies that kind of blur together because not a lot of people saw them. It's like that Veronica Guerin. What's the other one? Heaven. Yeah, posters that are just her face. Heaven's the one where she shaved her head, though. Yes, Heaven is the one where she shaved her head. So that's easy to sort of pick pick that one up. But yeah, so this was a very busy year for her. And it was one of those years where, like, she was critically, like, lauded in certain things like Charlotte Grey and Bandits. And she was commercially, uh, all of a sudden, everywhere for Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And people forget that, like, ultimately Galadriel is not a very major role in that trilogy, but she was a huge part, especially of the marketing of that Mm -hmm. first movie. She was one of the more recognizable faces in that, even though she's still pretty much just, like, she's pretty much an art house actor still, even after Elizabeth and, uh, and Ripley. But, like, she, Vigo, and Ian McKellen... And I guess Elijah would too, but like she's definitely one of the main like thrusts of the the marketing for that first mm-hmm. movie. And that first movie is like where Galadriel gets the most to do. Obviously, she, you know, she passes the test and uh and vows to move on and remain Galadriel. Um 
I love that scene. And she also does the prologue in that she voices over the prologue, which is like one of my favorite, like, I'm just going to give you a whole novel's worth of exposition at the beginning, but it's like, it's in Kate Blanchett's voice and I will listen to it all day long. Um, So yeah, a big year for her, but I think it's one of those things where you look back now and because she's been so rewarded since then, it feels weird that they were stretching to include things like the shipping news and the man who cried in awards for her when it's just like, it's Kate Blanchett. Like, wait till next year, y'all. Like, she'll be back with more good performances. Like, you don't have to jump on things like the shipping news and the it's man who cried. It's such an early aughts thing of, like, critics groups just going for the performer that did a bunch of stuff. Yes. And, like, we're talking about a Julianne Moore movie that happened to Julianne Moore, too. Yes. What was her year for that? Her year was 99? Magnolia, uh, yeah. Ideal Husband. Well, she had two world. years. She also had 2002, but that's after this. Right. But I don't think anybody did that for Far From Heaven and The Hours. No. They generally do it less for lead performances and, and more... Like, if, you, if you're in supporting in one thing that, like, you're really good in, but maybe it's a smallish role, or maybe, like, whatever, the critics groups get a little cold feet about maybe being like, oh, we're rewarding, um, why are we rewarding this one thing over another thing? And they're just like, you know what, just, like, rope them all together. Philip Seymour Hoffman had that also maybe in 99, one of those years, where they were just like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's been great in, like, five things. Let's just give him an award for all of these things. They don't do that as much anymore. I don't know whether that's a thing that, like, they've declared that, like, I feel like publicists probably didn't like when that happened, you know? Because they had to share spoils. Right. And then they had to probably coordinate, and I'm sure they hate that. Um, Yeah. It's so weird that this movie is memorialized forever now for her. (laughs) I wonder if she remembers making this movie. I want to know what Kate Blanchett has to say about her performance. Like, this had to have been... Two days max of filming, right? Probably more because there's that shot of her dead in the car where they've like pulled it out of the water. That had to have been well, and she shows up when he's in the boat capsizes and he's in the water and he sees her on like the rowboat, like taunting him. So yeah, she also had to film that. Who wants to go to town with Kate Blanchett in a rowboat? God, Um, I love that. That was like. Is she supposed to be enticing him into death? Because, like, he does not want to follow you there. You're scary. (laughs) You frighten him. She's just the angel of death. Basically. um, Also, can I just say one thing about her performance? Like, yeah. When she says nibble, nibble, little mouse, I'm like, I'm grossed out. When they, like, eat that, like, whatever, like, marshmallowy confection in bed and she says nibble, nibble, little mouse, I'm like, this whole relationship is so cursed. Like, it's just incredibly Unwell. Cursed. Completely unwell. And, like, her pickup line is, you want to marry me, don't you? Which is pulled literally from the book. Uh, because, like, you see her doing it with another guy in the movie, but she says it to Coyle, too. The yeah. thing I remember is, like, if you watch the trailer, you'll see so many alternate shots from what's actually used in the movie. <laughs> and what's in the trailer is so much better. Like, you see her face on the you want to marry me, don't you line. Yeah. And, like, her expression, like, sells the character in the trailer way more than any shot in the movie does. Um in, like, a way that, like, this woman would, like, 
be uh like kind of this mysterious figure to coil whereas like the version we get in the movie is like he's just a sad guy and she happened to like be the one to manipulate him right like yeah you know he's kind of he's one of those characters in like who's just like well you're absolutely asking for a woman like this to take advantage of you because you have no bones in your body you're just made of jelly and you're Bruce Davison from the first X-Men movie. You're just, like, completely gelatinous and has no, you know, ability to advocate for himself whatsoever. And it's just, like, and it's from no, like, disability. He's just sad. He's just a sad man. That's his entire character. And it's not interesting to watch. And it's Kevin not Spacey, so it's, like, I need to have a very good reason that I'm watching Kevin Spacey in 2021, and this isn't good enough. And this was maybe the worst reason. Um, yeah. uh, except for Baby Driver, where he is very creepy to young men. Yes! Um, the thing is, I think there's not much more to coil on the page than there is in the movie, but I think because, again, like I said, the language of it, it makes you understand him a little bit more. Whereas like Kevin Spacey makes literally no choices as in his performance in this movie. So it's just like, it's not interesting to watch. You don't understand him. Right. Blah, 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 blah. But he's also miscast because like a, the character is supposed to be much larger than he is. He's supposed to be this like kind of, Oh, he's a sad fat man. That's fun. uh, True. Um, But, like, I don't want to use a cliche like gentle giant, but I remember also from... I could be wrong. I remember from the book he's supposed to be, like, 6'5 or something. I could be remembering that part of it wrong, but he's supposed to be... Descended from Viking pirates. Right. He's supposed to be, like, a somewhat imposing physical presence. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, that's not fucking Kevin Spacey. No, no. And uh, they also give him red hair in this movie. I mean, they try. They they do indeed try. They do try. She did give an attempt. Um, But it's just like... I don't know. And, like, it could have been even more cursed because it was originally supposed to be Travolta, and we've seen what happens when Travolta tries to play a sad man. Yeah. We've covered um, it. We've done uh, a love song for Bobby Long. We yeah. have indeed <laughs> covered that movie. Um, but I don't know. Even, like, a Philip Seymour Hoffman would give so much more dimension well, yes. to yes. the type of, like, grief or, like, inherited trauma, lived trauma, like... Uh, that would make you at least understand this man, if not, you know, find him more interesting. Yeah. I'm just realizing now that if I worked in um, online publicity for Miramax at this time, which thank God I didn't because I would have had like, you know, a stapler thrown at me or something. Yeah. You would have had a phone lodged into your head. I would have absolutely done a shipping news name generator. Like... (laughs) I don't know Maybe what kind should. of algorithm I would have like devised, but I would make sure that people could get How their Newfoundlander name. Things? Just like pick your favorite animal and also your favorite um, lentil and I your favorite know. animal. Pick your favorite animal. Make the letters backwards. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Do the hokey pokey. Turn yourself around. And yeah. All right. 
We should talk about Dame Judi Dench as Agnes Ham. She's good uh, in this movie. She's good in this movie. She's not in this movie very much. For somebody who, right. the, like, the big reveal of the plot concerns her character, she does kind of, like, disappear once she's they She's almost to not in the last hour of the movie. Right. And it's interesting because, like, she's going back home, too, and her homecoming is more interesting than his mm-hmm. because... She's, well, she's a more interesting character in general, but also just like she had this terrible thing happen to her. And then she kind of got like driven out of town because she had an abortion as a teenager. And then she like lived with a woman for her, like most of her life. And now that woman died of cancer and now she's coming back. And it would have been really interesting to see how she reacts to the townspeople. And she like interacts with like one other woman who like, crochets something with her or whatever whatever her <laughs> she job starts is. a uh boat upholstery business right which right. like who am I? that sounds like yeah. you know so yeah i think she's good in this movie she has a few of the more memorable um line readings she's quite uh industrious in the way that she swaps out the ashes in the urn for uh <laughs> something else and then so that she can go rightfully drop a deuce on her awful brother's ashes rapist brother yeah um so this is our momentous sixth judy dench film that we have covered uh when we cover six films by a particular actor or actress we commemorate it we put the actor the performer in our six timers club and i Mark the occasion by giving you, Chris, a quiz on the six a films quiz. that you've covered. So, we're wouldn't going be to do an, that It wouldn't be episode 150 if we didn't have some type of quiz. We're just... This episode's probably going to be long, and you know what? It's going to be fine. Um, six movies that we've done with Judy Dent. She was in our second episode ever, which was uh, Tulip Fever. Smoking uh, that little pipe. Smoking that little pipe as that a nun. That little huge pipe, because it's like a wafer-thin pipe... But it is seven feet long. I think it's still yes. our header photo. Yes. Um, I think it is on Twitter. Yes, it is. And uh, and happily so. Tulip Fever, J. Edgar, Ladies Ugh. in Lavender, mm-hmm. uh, The Incredibly Momentous and Prestigious Cats, Tea with Mussolini, and The Shipping News is now our sixth Judy Dench movie. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. The answer or answers will be one or more of those six movies. Fantastic. All right. So let's get to it. All right. We'll start off kind of basic. Which of those six movies earned the most at the domestic box office? Is it Cats? It's not Cats. Cats, oh, okay. I think, is maybe second among these. Um, is it Jay Edgar? It's Jay Edgar. Jay Edgar earned $37.3 million at the domestic box office. Cats was 27.2 jay edgar a movie that is worse than cats oh yeah at least i can have fun watching cats um which one earned the least at the domestic box office um tulip fever tulip fever 2.4 million yeah um you know what made more money than i realized is ladies in lavender which made Hell yeah we talked about it on our episode i totally forgot that 20 million worldwide box office for ladies in lavender good Hell for yeah. that movie hi danita i miss you yes miss that was Seinberg. such a fun episode uh which two of these movies were based on novels 
Um, the shipping news. Yes. And tulip fever. And tulip fever. Yes. Which is the shortest? Which is the shortest? Um, it's not to, is it tea with Mussolini? It's not tea with Mussolini. Tea with Mussolini. Is it ladies and lavender? It's ladies and lavender. Tea with Mussolini clocks in at 112, which makes it the second longest, actually. J. Edgar's the longest. Right. Oh, sorry. That's a spoiler for the next question. J. Edgar's longest. (laughs) Um, Whatever. I have. I would have guessed that anyway. Yeah. um, It's it's famously 17 years long. It will feel that long. Tea with Mussolini is one minute longer than The Shipping News and um, two minutes longer than Cats. And then uh, Tulip Fever is 107 minutes. And then Ladies in Lavender is the shortest at 103 minutes. Okay. Which are the only two of these movies to open before September in their calendar year? Ladies in Lavender and Tea with Mussolini. Yes. Do you want to hazard a guess as to what month? May. They were both May. Tea with Mussolini was May. Ladies in Lavender was late April. Ah, so you're very close. Basically May. Which two are the only ones with fresh Rotten Tomato ratings? Uh, well, not Cats. Um, no. Not this, so it can't be J. Edgar. It's not. Uh, Tea with Mussolini and Ladies in Lavender, then. Very good. Tea with Mussolini, 67%. uh, Ladies in Lavender, 64%. The lowest Rotten Tomatoes uh, you can imagine is... Do you want to just finish that sentence? It's Actually, no. It's Tulip Fever. Tulip Fever, 10%. Cats, a robust 19%. (laughs) Really has climbed up uh, from its 0%. Yes. Okay. Which two films does Judy co-star with exactly two other Oscar winners? Tulip Fever and this movie. No. No, this movie is three. Um, Yes. Cats. No. Who is Cats? Uh, McCullen and someone. McCullen's Uh, never won an Oscar. Oh, fuck me. Um, Sorry. Um... (laughs) You're so, right yeah, about Tula, Tulip, no, Tulip Fever. Fever. Tulip Fever and Tea with Mussolini. Yes. Who are the two in Tulip Fever? Tulip Fever is uh, Christoph Waltz and Alicia Vikander. Yes. Um, Tea with Mussolini is Cher and Maggie Smith. Very good. Yes. All right. Which two were nominated for exactly two BAFTAs? Uh, this movie and... Yes. Uh, Tea with Mussolini. Yes. Do you want to guess as to which which were the nominations? Well, this was Kevin Spacey and Judy Dench. Tea with yes. Mussolini was Maggie Smith and I'm guessing costumes? Very, very good. I'm incredibly impressed. Fantastic. Wow. All right. Which was the only one of these films to make the National Board of Review's top 10 in its year? Um, J. Edgar. Yes, J. Edgar. Which two were AARP Movies for Grownups Awards nominees? <laughs> Ladies in Lavender. Yes. And J. Edgar. Yes, both for Judy Dench. Yep. Yep. All right. Which was the only one of these films to get a Nickelodeon Kids' Choice nomination? <laughs> is it Cats? It is Cats. For Taylor Swift. To- Yes, do you want to yeah! guess the category? Um, 
I mean, it's not going to be like supporting actress. I don't think they're that specific. It's got to be like favorite actress in a musical. It's just favorite movie actress. It's not even that specific. It's wow. it's essentially best actress, Taylor Swift and Cats. Yes. Um, wait, now I need to see who she lost to. Um, I'm surprised we never did this. We had a lot to talk about when we were talking about Cats. Um, it's got to be like to all the boys I loved before. Oh, my God. All right. She was nominated alongside Zendaya for Spider-Man Far From Home, Scarlett Johansson for Avengers Endgame, Brie Larson for Captain Marvel, Angelina Jolie for Maleficent Mistress of Evil. They all lost to, are you ready to just give up on everything? It's got to be another superhero. No, it is not. It is Dove Cameron for Descendants 3. The Disney Channel movie about the, like, descendants of fairy tale villains? I want to yes, say? the you know what I what I will say positively about those movies. You know who costume designs the Descendants? Who? Carasan. No shit from Project Runway. Yes, good for Carasan. <laughs> I fell down the rabbit hole of what the fuck are Project Runway people doing these days? Good Carousel for her. Has that? All right. I don't know if it's the sequels, but she definitely did the first one. Well, anyway, we need to move on from the Descendants. I'm not. No, no. we can't. We can't have that conversation. We can't go down that rabbit hole. Okay. Um. All right. About which film did critic Andrew Saris say, I am baffled by all the negativity surrounding it, and I am prepared to designate it as the most underrated film of whatever year? Tulip Fever. No. Uh, This movie? The Shipping News, bitch. It is about the Shipping News. Andrew Saris was riding for the Shipping News. Andrew Uh Saris... Please um, send me the contact for your dealer. <laughs> All right. Which two of Judy's This Had Oscar Buzz movies were co-written by Tony Award winners? Co-written by Tony Award winners. Yes. Um, Tulip Fever, because that is um, 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 Tom Stoppard. Correct. Co-written by Tom and... Stoppard. I think it's Tea with Mussolini, but I forget who it... Well, no, it's... Is it Cats? Technically speaking, it's Cats. Why? Because of Andrew Lloyd Webber, but... No, Andrew Lloyd Webber is not a credited screenwriter on Cats, but you're right about Cats. The origin of Cats. So, no, the the screenwriter is um, one of the, the... It's the guy who wrote Red. What's his name? He won his Tony for Red, I'm pretty sure. No... Um, John Logan. Think, no, John it's Logan. not John Logan. It is Lee Hall who won oh, Tony for Billy Elliot. Yes. For Billy yes, Elliot. Yes, yes. yes. All right. Last one. Uh, this is my favorite one. Which are the only two movies of the six where Judy's character, as credited, does not begin with an A? <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. Um. God forbid I remember what her character names were. Terrible with character names. Um, Jay Edgar? She just credited his mother in that movie? Nope. She's, um, hold on, let me uh, bring this up now. Uh, In Jay Edgar, her character's name is Annie. Annie Hoover. So that's that's, uh, that's an A. You know one for sure. Well, this is Agnes Ham. Right. 
Not Agnat, Agnes, with an I. Um, it, it can't be. It's like Mother Abbess for Tulip Fever. It's not Tulip Fever. Is it Ladies in Lavender? Ladies in Lavender is one of them. She plays, uh, her character in that is Ursula. Ursula Whittington. Oh, and duh, it's cats. It's, it's cats. cats. It's old Deuteronomy. Yes. All of her characters. I thought it was old Deuteronomy. A-U-L-D Deuteronomy. <laughs> Fuck off. All of her characters in all six movies that we have chosen for her begin with a vowel. I find that fascinating. Um, what are the other two uh, that I need to uh, declare? Tulip Fever is the abbess. You're right. Uh, no name given, but she's just known as the abbess. Um, Ladies in Lavender is Ursula. Uh, what are the other movies? Sorry. I'm totally, uh, I lost my cats space. Is, we just said Cats. We said this right. one. Tea with Mussolini, she's Anna. And uh, yeah, she's Agnes. Agnes Ham in uh, The Shipping News. Very good job on the Judy Dench quiz, Chris. And congratulations, Thanks, Judy, on being uh, part of our Six Timers Club. Also, interestingly, this is our fourth Cape Blanchett film where we have done The Gift and The Missing and Truth. And now the shipping news. This is interesting. This was my favorite little tidbit. This is our fourth Scott Glenn movie, and I would have not thought that at all. Like I did not he's remember. Also in us the missing, doing... right? What else? No, is he? he's not in the missing. He's in. It seems like he would be because like Tommy Lee Jones's face is exactly as craggy as Scott Glenn's face in that film. <laughs> um, but I think you were just uh, transposing one for the other. Courage under fire, which was our fifth episode, of course. Secretariat, which is uh, Seabiscuit, and uh, The Paperboy. I do not remember who he plays in The Paperboy at all. Me either. Yeah. I don't really remember anything about Secretariat, but it's fully conceivable he's in that movie. He plays the horse. Um, Oh, okay. Obviously. (laughs) So back to the shipping news. Let's talk about Miramax in 2001. We did this a little bit when we did Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Um, We've talked about this specifically before, but we're yes. both people who hounded the Miramax Awards site, which was like the first time I had exposure to like a four-year consideration website for movies. Yeah. And it was like, I I don't necessarily remember the shipping news moving dates around, but I remember it being like, okay, well, when are they going to put something up for this movie yeah i feel like this was, was set for looming. december for ever i think it was just yeah. sort of like it, it was camped out in december but this was one of those weird years where the the planned oscar bait falls flat on its face and the studio has to go to something else so this and captain corelli's mandolin were i think the big hopes for miramax in 2001 um which is interesting because it's the year after they also flopped with all the pretty horses. And so once again, like the best laid plans of mice and men go awry. And they then turn to their Sundance acquisition, right? They acquired in the yes. bedroom at Sundance yes. that year. And that was the big sort of Sundance prize winner. And everybody was like, yeah, it's going to go to Miramax, but like Miramax has bigger fish to fry and they're not going to give it attention. Yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden Just in the, the bedroom. performance thing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then all of a sudden in the bedroom was like their best horse. And so they gave it the push and it got, you know, best picture nomination and nominations, obviously, for Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson. And it's a great movie. 
And it's a great movie. I mean, it's the best movie that they have on their plate. I honestly think, based off of the sudden, like, large awards tally that it had, if they had made Amelie their big horse, they would have a Best Picture nomination for it. Yes, I um, think that's true. I still think if if there was a best a ten best in two thousand one, Amelie probably would have made it. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But they could have had like picture and director for Amelie. Yeah, at the time, like even Bridget Jones's Diary took a while to be like a for sure actress contender because yes. like that was a February release, but and it was a like, comedy. As things fell through throughout the year, like that kept uh, that stayed in the race and like elevated as the season went on even though it was an older right. movie and all these things that you would normally suspect to be against it and then even though judy dench did get a sag nomination for shipping news they did pretty once the once the scent of failure was in the air for shipping news i think they jumped to iris as the big judy dench awards mm-hmm. play for 2001 she gets a best actress nomination for that um her Jim broadbent wins Right, Jim Broadbent wins, beats Ian McKellen, which I'm still sort of sad about because Ian McKellen should have an Oscar twice. Right. And twice Jim Broadbent's better performance place. that year is in Moulin Rouge. Is in Moulin Rouge. That's the thing. If Jim Broadbent was going to win that year, it should have been for Moulin Rouge. He's very good in Iris, but yeah, Iris Oscar's is... not cool enough to nominate him for no uh, Moulin Rouge, especially when Iris is right there. Right, exactly. Classic Oscar move. Um, Let's not forget Sting's best original song nomination for Kate and Leopold. Is that song until, right? Until still, uh, my <laughs> will to live uh, is not stoked by that song. Right. Um, so one of those, this was the era where Miramax had so much product that like two massive failures even could not like put a dent in it. And it still, you know, didn't win Best Picture that year, but it, you know, it got a haul of, of awards and nominations and yeah so yeah that was the, the those thing were the times. is like in terms of like obviously zero oscar nominations for the shipping news its precursor run is shockingly robust robust yes it got a best picture nomination for critics choice that i completely blanked out of my memory and I laughed my ass off when I saw it. It didn't even get in like the top 10 for National Board of Review, which you would believe for this movie. But yeah. Critics' Choice put it in their best picture lineup. Critics' Choice, I should also mention, nominated it for score, which wouldn't have been... Golden Globes also nominated it for score. Yes, it like, did. I feel like it probably came close to getting a score nomination. That's probably the closest nomination it had. Yeah. 2001 NBR Top 10 is actually really good. I think this is this might be like a no skips list. It's um Oh, there's a skip. Well, I'm I'm trying to see what one. It's not giving me an indication of which film. I guess Mulan Rouge this is when they, the top. Yeah, they did a 10 and a best picture. Well, no, this is when years where they've done a best picture and then a separate 10. Their best picture is Mulan Rouge and it's in the 10. Right. This was before they started pulling that little scam. Yeah. Mulan Rouge in the bedroom. Ocean's Eleven, Memento. Yeah, Monster's Ball's not great, but... Yeah, Monster's Ball's uh, abysmal. But, but the Halle Berry momentum, you can like see how that... But yes, yeah. you're right. Monster's yeah. Ball's the outlier here. Black Hawk Down, The Man Who Wasn't There, uh, underrated Cohen's movie. AI Artificial Intelligence, which is a really interesting movie. The mm-hmm. Pledge is the one that like goes like the furthest from the Oscar uh typicals the uh, sean penn 
which uh, directed I the pledge. It's good. It's a real downer. <laughs> um, obviously, it's, it's also a Warner Brothers movie, and like you can always count on National Board of Review to uh, fill their Warner Brothers table at their events. So the cast say. is amazing, though, because it's Jack Nicholson playing this like guy who's kid had died and then he's trying to solve a, a a murder maybe or maybe i'm conflating something of that with the crossing guard but anyway um he's he's a detective trying to solve the murder of a child patricia clarkson is in it benicio del toro aaron eckhart helen mirren tom noonan robin wright penn vanessa redgrave mickey rourke sam shepherd harry dean stanton dale dickey lois smith it's like an oh. insanely packed cast you should check it out Queen of my heart, Lois Smith. The photo someone posted of yes. imagine seeing In the Heights with Lois Smith. I it made me so happy. She was getting her life and good. You for know her. she loved that fucking movie. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh the other thing I wanted to look at was what else got Broadcast Film Critics Awards nominations for uh for Best Picture, along with so wait, this was back when they only had three nominees and it still got a nomination? Exactly. Well, no, their, oh, no. their best picture lineup 10. was ten. It they was did 10. ten. Those crazy um, bastards. Um, it's definitely the outlier there. Whatever you think of Shrek, Shrek was a success. Like Shrek makes sense. I believe it was also a Producers Guild nominee. Shrek. Um, but Shipping News stands out like a sore thumb. It is again like I mean, you know, I think A Beautiful Mind is terrible, but like that was the best picture front runner. So like, understandable. In the bedroom, Moulin Rouge, Memento. Mulholland Drive, Lord of the Rings, Ollie, Man Who Wasn't There, all great movies. Uh, and then The Shipping News. Womp, womp, womp. Like, so crazy. Oh, boy. Yeah. But then, like, it, that that's just the one that, like, kicks it off. Because, like, a major precursor nominated this for Best Picture. But, like, SAG, BAFTA, and The Globes all gave this acting nominations. Yeah. Yes. Which is, like, very weirdly very rare for the movies that we talk about like they'll usually you don't show up see it as much anymore you don't see it as much anymore where like no. a movie can totally bomb and the fumes of it will still get a bunch of precursor nominations which is basically what happened with the shipping news and usually nowadays i think things move faster and i think the stench of failure really can like take a movie from, like, expected, like, multiple nominations to, like, nothing, to absolutely mm-hmm. zero. And it happens well, very quickly. and f- the fall festivals are way... They're way more reliant on them now, too, whereas, like, mm-hmm. this... If the shipping news came out today with the expectations that it had on it, it would either show up at a festival, yeah. bomb, and then be immediately out of consideration, yes. or... It could be like a Mary Queen of Scots type of situation that it's like it sets an expectation if it doesn't go to a, f- a fall festival. Like people right. are questioning, oh, well, this should be here. Why isn't it? Why is it? Probably means that it's bad. Yeah. And then maybe like Mary Queen of Scots is the best case scenario where it gets some type of like craft nominations. But like. Right. I don't know. If people had really seen the movie, because this was a Christmas Day release, <laughs> Open li- everybody wants to go see um, incest, inherited family trauma, uh, m- 
ice movies on Christmas Day. Somebody should do a list of like the most insane movies to open on Christmas Day. Like I would least... happily uh, write that if anybody you should pitch wants that to, pay me to, to like to Polygon that. or something like that. The I worst think Christmas should... Day releases. Yeah, or just like the least, like the most unhinged, just like least fitting for that release date you know what i mean right. it's just like right. who's gonna go see this with the family on christmas like i guess maybe there are bummer singles out there i will say for as much as i rag on the broadcast film critics association that year in 2001 they did at least their best director was a tie between ron howard who won the oscar for beautiful mind terrible but Baz Luhrmann for Moulin rouge tied best director that year which is pretty cool pretty cool pretty cool pretty cool all right uh what other we have still tons to talk about this was we mentioned the sort of kevin spacey backlash year we talked about that a lot in pay it forward so we don't really need to go through all of that again but this was also speaking of our old episodes this was the same year as hannibal for julianne moore which is like a leveling up in terms of making her like i don't want to say fully movie star because she's never necessarily been a bankable star but in terms of her profile was considered a huge leveling up we talked about it in the hannibal episode where it's like the whole casting run-up like when she got the cover of entertainment weekly as the announcement which was like a big deal at the time right not at all now that movie Um, was a financial success was a decent financial success not like a like a um, yeah. Oh no, it was a big hit. Yeah. Um, Off the top of my head, aside from the Lost World, I think it's her highest-grossing movie. That's probably true. But like, but the the worm turned on the well, assessment Hunger of that Games movie pretty movies, quickly. But those aren't real. What's that? I the said Hunger Games. The Hunger Games movies, but those <laughs> yeah. aren't real. Um, I think the worm turned on the public opinion about Hannibal, and and at least about her replacing Jodie Foster was just not at least not viewed as like a triumph. And then the other movies she had in 2001 were worse, where it was like Evolution, uh, the Ivan Reitman movie with David Duchovny, which just got terrible reviews, as I recall. Um, Shipping News, obviously, we're talking about it. And then World Traveler, which we keep finding our way to Bart Freundlich uh, when we talk about uh, um, Julianne Moore. Her husband casts her in things. The um, uh, What the hell is his name? Melissa McCarthy's husband. Ben Falcone. The Ben, the ben Falcone to Julianne Moore. Bart Frenlich's uh, movies are better than Ben Falcone's, let's just be clear. Yeah, but it's the same deal, right? Where it's just like, like, stop making your wife do your shitty movies. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's a lovely person, and I, you know, I'm happy that they have a very nice marriage. Um, as I am for Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone, by the way. Like, just because he doesn't make good movies doesn't mean he's not a good husband. Um... World Traveler, it's another Julianne Moore, Billy Crudup movie, much like Trust the Man was. Um, And I don't know if it really had any expectations on it, but it was definitely uh, the definition of, like, middling. No, it even was wake up. It got worse reviews than middling, now that I say that. Um, It was... How dare you gloss over her cameo in The Ladies' Man. I saw The Ladies' Man. That was 2000. Because I knew she was in it. That was not this year. That was 2000. Um, Oh, well, damn. That was her highlight of the year 2000, was her only appearance in a feature film that year was in The Ladies' Man. And we Listen, she was busy after 1999. But then, like, 2002, obviously, is a huge, you know, bounce back with Far From Heaven in the Hours. So people sort of forgot about the dip that she took in 2001 pretty quickly. She's not bad in this movie. She doesn't get a ton to do. She gets like two scenes. She maybe of, like, has the worst success. role in the movie. 
I at least appreciate that she is very understated yeah. in a way that feels appropriate. She feels um, like she really lives in that town. Yeah. But that's like that's sort of as far as it goes. The romance with her and Coyle is like insultingly bad. Like I can't believe we're expected so boring. To feel the most like... interesting thing is she tricks him in eat into eating seal flipper pie. Yes. Yeah, I thought the joke of that was going to be that she like sells this whole thing with seal flipper pie and then he eats it and it's like it's blueberry or whatever. And it's just yeah. like, ha ha ha. Um, the joke of it is that like she makes him eat it, telling her that telling him that everybody in town eats it. And then she's like, I don't eat that shit. Like, that's disgusting. Um, that was a fine moment. It's weird that she did multiple whole ass Hunger Games movies that we never talk about that like. I know that those they had a huge fan base and it's like I read all those books and saw all those movies too but like the lasting impact of the Hunger Games has been Hunger Games yeah! I mean well, maybe it'll get like you know how in the last year like Twilight has had a whole resurgence for people yes during the pandemic yes maybe the Hunger Games will get that but it feels The problem with the Hunger Games movies vis-a-vis the Twilight movies is Twilight movies didn't start very well. So even if you don't love the last few Twilight movies, you don't you can't make the claim that like they dropped precipitously from the first one. And you could much more easily make the opposite claim, which is that the last couple ones are fucking crazy, so like there's at least that, you know, better than the first one. I think the first two Twilight movies are the worst ones. The second one is abysmal and boring and whatever. And the last ones at least have giant dream sequence battles and and credits that go on for 25 minutes. And I'm happy with that. The thing with The Hunger Games is its first two movies are the best two movies. And it really fizzles down the stretch. It made the bad decision to split the last book into two movies. It also had the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of hanging over it by the end there. Mm -hmm. And it really... And that book didn't stick the landing either. So it, like, it was kind of drawing Yeah, like, it was always this looming thing of, like, that final book didn't satisfy people. Right. So, like, you knew the movie was not going to did the final people. book come out after the first movie came out i don't think so i thought but it was pretty close there but they it was were, pretty close, close time-wise because i remember yeah. the book was just like i think that people started saying how the book was an unsatisfying ending pretty early on so um but yeah that's definitely like listen we know every major actress during the early teens um had to have their ya dystopian uh, the amount of actresses in the Divergent series is wild. That It's not just Kate Winslet. It's not just Kate Winslet and Naomi Watts. It's Kate Winslet, Naomi Watts, Octavia Spencer, and Ashley Judd. It's just yes. like, wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. What else should we talk about? We talked about Lassa Hallstrom, uh, Year After Shock a lot. Um... I mean, we could bring up just for like listeners who aren't familiar, like this is a Pulitzer Prize winner. The very next year, another Pulitzer Prize winner was like in the hours. It's like we talked, we've talked about this more with um, 
plays specifically Mm -hmm. that like a Pulitzer Prize automatically like kind of catapults you into Oscar expectations if you're doing an adaptation. Right. Other examples being like uh, Beloved is one of them. I mean, Beloved is like a landmark novel, too. So that has its own thing. Yeah. But you see way less of it now. But like the aughts were like, oh, Pulitzer Prize winning books. Let's make them into movies. Yeah. You really don't see like some a novel will win the Pulitzer Prize and you never hear like, oh, when is the movie adaptation? Like hardly ever anymore. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there's um, uh, Barry Jenkins just did the Underground Railroad, but it's a limited series. Right. But like I'm I'm going through even just like the 2000s and like all these like very well-known books like they've been trying to make an amazing adventures of cavalier and clay movie forever but it hasn't happened and one of my favorite books um they made a mini series out of empire falls they've never made a middlesex movie um they made the road which is a super bummer i don't think they've ever tried to do the brief and wondrous life of oscar wow as a as a film all well, of, some of the stuff that's come out about gino diaz right exactly so you're not going to but even when it was like even at that time there was no I don't think there was any kind of push for that because I think the limitations of movies to be able to, you know, capture a lot of these books kind mm-hmm. of, you know, the failures have been proven. Yeah. Um Olive Kittredge was a miniseries. We talked about that a little bit um last week, right? Cause uh, uh whenever we last talked about uh oh no, 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 because the writer of Prize Winner of Defiance Ohio also adapted the Olive miniseries. Kittredge, right. And got an um, Emmy for it. Good for her. They never tried to make a visit from the Goon Squad, as far as I know, or did they? I love that book. Or did they try to make that as a they TV tried series? To, they tried to take it to HBO. That's such yeah. a um, wild book that adapting it, I think, uh, would be kind of a Herculean task. There's yeah. a whole chapter in that that it tells a story via PowerPoint. That's really like moving, but like, how do you adapt that? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think you're right. There's less of a pipeline for that now than maybe there was in the era of um, The Hours and The Shipping News and A Thousand Acres and, uh, as you mentioned, Beloved and, you know, other stuff. Ironweed. Looking at just the, because obviously all the precursors that this showed up for largely for Judy Dench, which like, I get it. She is like, if, if you're looking, if you feel the urge or like, you know, you have to recognize this movie that was at one point seen as a large contender. It's easy to hang your hat on Judy Dench in this movie because Mm -hmm. she is the most interesting character, the most interesting performance in the movie. Um, And it's like, it feels like the movie should be about her um, for most of it. But it did remind me how kind of, uh, in flux the supporting actress race was this year in a way that we really don't see often. I mean, the past year has been kind of wild, but that was interesting to look at. Yeah. Because, like, the SAG list, uh, Helen Mirren wins, but she's also the only Oscar nominee in that lineup. Right. That was the that was the big outlier category of, like, all time for the SAG Awards was supporting actress mm-hmm. that year. Um, cause it was, I'm trying to remember. So it was Judy Dench and this, Kate Blanchett and Bandits, Dakota Fanning and I Am Sam, and no, Kate Winslet was an Oscar nominee for Iris. 
Um, Another someone who is Globe nominated. You can get it. Someone who's Globe nominated and supporting. Yes, and has never been Oscar nominated. Oh. Jennifer Jason Lee in something, Robin Wright Penn in something. Uh Jennifer Jason Lee is an Oscar nominee. Oh right, but yeah, at that point it wasn't right. I Someone who uh we did an episode uh, uh calling uh it her best performance. Oh interesting. One of my favorite episodes. Two thousand one. The movie we called her best performance was not two thousand one. Oh, but this uh, this is a movie that won an Oscar or was nominated for an Oscar. I always mix it up with another of for this an director's a- movie. acting Oscar. Huh? Nominated for an acting Oscar. It was nominated for original song. <laughs> All right. Um, I always confuse it as winning original song. Oh, because... it's it's Cameron Diaz. Yeah, my yeah. beloved Cameron Diaz in Vanilla Sky. Yes, she's great in that. She swallowed his cum. It's great. Um. We stand. <laughs> hey, stranger. <laughs> All right. Um, do we want to talk about our 150th episode spectacular? I can't believe we've gotten this far. I just want to take a second to thank all of our wonderful listeners for sticking with us, even if uh, you've maybe only stuck with us for a few episodes and you're a new listener. Um, wild that we are here. Yes. I'm so, and we still have so long to go. And we have still have so much still to do. I'm very excited for what we have coming up in the future. Um, it's been a fantastic 150 episodes, though. And I'm very, very thankful both to you, Chris, and to our great, great listeners. Guys, we're, we're, uh, we're two uh, goofballs, awards obsessives. <laughs> uh, we love that you listen to us. We appreciate all of your support. And uh, yeah stick around uh we will still be having we're gonna have a fun summer so one of the i think on our first mailbag episode maybe one of the questions was to if we could create a list of acting nominees and also best picture nominees from the films that we had done to that date and we repeated that one when we did our 100th episode spectacular for mother and now we feel like it's time to do it again from the last 50 episodes that we did from the mother episode up until now what are I think we did it this past mailbag episode too did but we like i think so but like we were really uh flimsy on what timeline we were supposed to use so i think we can just say now we'll do this every 50 episodes yeah i think that's a good we'll, we'll doing start, we'll the previous 50 episodes yeah that's so good. we'll be doing 101 to 150 Right. And then basically in a year's time, we'll be doing 151 to 200. Exactly. So I have prepared uh, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress categories, five nominations each, and then a top 10 list of my favorite. I have also done this, and then I have a separate list of superlatives. (gasps) I have 10 uh, fun superlatives. Showing me up. Okay. All right. Um, They're they're fairly simple. They're fairly simple. No, I get it. Um, All right. Do you want to start with supporting actress or should I start? I think feel like we all know that supporting actress should go first. It's Yes. Tradition. It's the most important category, it you is. know, might as well just do it first. All right. What are your 5? Okay, my 5, I'm going to list them alphabetically. Of course you are. That's the only way to do it. Uh I this is also my longest list of people I almost put in there, of yeah. course, because it's supporting actress. Yep. Um okay, so my 5. I chose Glenn Close. 
House of the Spirits. Oh, wow. You are starting it off. You've chose chaos today. Coming in hot. Yeah. Coming in hot. She's great in that movie. That terrible movie. Um, Viola Davis in Solaris. She almost made my list. Elizabeth Marvel in the Meyerowitz stories. Yep. Michelle Pfeiffer in White Oleander. Very good. And Sissy Spacek in A Home at the End of the World. I knew you were going to do Sissy Spacek in A Home at the End of the World. I'm very glad that you did that. Excellent. What is your five? And then we can say who we would pick. Right. Uh, my five are... Uh, well, this first one is one we have disagreed on categorization, and that's fine. Patricia Clarkson in The Station Agent. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki in Widows. Tina Majorino in Men- When a Man Loves a Woman. Elizabeth Marvel in The Meyerowitz Stories, and Michelle Pfeiffer in White Oleander. I love when we don't have much overlap. Me too. Me too. So, as I said, Viola Davis and Solaris was one that I had to leave off my list. Um, Frances McDormand in Friends with Money. I'm surprised neither one of us uh, picked her because... She's, she's on my long so, list. She's absolutely on my long list. Lindsay Duncan. I figured you would pick her, too, which was another... And I figured that. you would pick her. What a what a gift of the Magi story we have here. Um, uh, and then Lindsay Duncan in About Time was also on my long list. My long list also included Patricia Clarkson and Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, Jennifer Ely for Possession. Of course. The great Jennifer Ely. Yes. I also put Cynthia Revo for Widows. Her yeah. scenes with Viola Davis just fucking rule, they man. They do. They do. Um, someone who I think we maybe had a conversation about category placement, um, Kira Knightley in A Dangerous Method. Right. Um, yeah. Francis McDormand for Friends with Money, and I also put uh, Maggie Smith for Tea with Mussolini. Oh, that's a really good one, actually. Um, She's great in that movie. You know who I should have included too, and I and I didn't, and I feel bad now. Is um, uh, just from last week, um, Ellery Porterfield from the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. I thought she was very good. Oh, that's a good call. Good as call. the daughter, as the daughter. Yes. All right. Um, Who's your winner? My winner. It's very tough. I think I have three who could take it. I think my winner is Patricia Clarkson for the station agent. Uh, my winner is Sissy Spacek, A Home at the End of the World. My other two that I was really struggling with not having to be the winner are Pfeiffer and Elizabeth Marvel because they both I know, yeah, totally rule. They totally rule. Um, all right, why don't I lead off with supporting actor? That sounds cool. Another one that was pretty I had some fun with this one. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I, I cannot wait to hear your chaos picks. So mine were Bobby Cannavale for The Station Agent, uh, Dane DeHaan for The Place Beyond the Pines, Dustin Hoffman for The Meyerowitz Stories, Bill Nye for About Time, and Brad Pitt for Burn After Reading. We really don't have any much overlap. I love it. I love this. Okay, uh, my picks are Brian Tyree Henry for Widows. Oh, that's such a Daniel good... I'm Kaluuya jealous of that. For I'm Widows. already jealous. Yeah, yes, you, you did it right. Uh, ben Mendelsohn for The Place Beyond the Pines. He was on my long list. Uh, our only overlap, Brad Pitt, Bradley Pittman yeah. for Burn After Reading. And my fifth, uh, Martin Scorsese in The Muse. Wow. Honestly, a great pick. That is a great he's pick. He's so good. He You're... has one scene. It's so funny. You don't stop laughing when he's on screen. 
your supporting actor picks run laps around mine. I already regret all of mine, and I wish I had done uh, Kaluuya and Brian Tyree Henry from Widows, and that Scorsese pick is inspired. It's absolutely inspired. He's uh, my, so funny in that. He's my really long list, genuinely is. He's so good. He's yeah. so good. Um, Playing the most cliche version of himself knowingly and, yeah. you know, picking fun at himself. It's the best scene in the movie. Uh, my long list was Bobby Cannavale for The Station Agent. Udo Kier for Melancholia. Oh, my God. Uh, I cannot look at Maniac. Her. Um, Maniac. Dallas Roberts for A Home at the End of the World and Denzel yeah. Washington for Much Ado About Nothing. That's a great one. I also had Ben Mendelsohn on my long list. I flirted with the idea of just like putting Ryan Gosling for Place Beyond the Pines and supporting because he le- leaves so soon. Um, but I didn't want to be that controversial. It's, it is confusing because he, I think he definitely has the longest of the three chapters of that movie and it's like it's all him whereas like right. the third one is shared and like his portion of the movie is over an hour long so it's, I, I understand. It's the Dev Patel in Lion thing sort of where it's just like mm-hmm. time wise you are definitely a supporting player but like you are the lead in your portion of the movie so. Right. Um, I also had Sean Penn in Carlito's Way as a runner up. Fun. Uh, who did you, who was your winner? Um, that's a very good question. I'm going to say that it's Bill Nye and about time, mostly because I don't want to give Dustin Hoffman. um, I don't want to give Dustin Hoffman even an imaginary award, even though I think Dustin Hoffman is marvelously funny in Myrowood stories. Uh, Excuse me. Excuse me. You think this is an imaginary award? (laughs) You think this isn't real? How dare you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to uh Where to, do to you insult. come off okay. thinking okay. that our superlatives from the past year are not a real award? I will create a little tinfoil statue uh for us for uh to hand out to we will track these people down and we will hand them awards and we will we will make it real. We will get televised on PBS right before the Movies for Grownups Awards next year. Honestly, let us do the red carpet at the M4Gs. At some point, they have to recognize that we're their biggest fans, right? They have to. I mean... Get the word out. Maybe they won't because it's somewhat ironic love, but it is also an earnest love. Do you think at their age they can appreciate what's ironic love and what's not? I mean, they nominate fucking... um, the most inappropriate things for like right. best time capsule. All right. All right. Uh, my, my winner is Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, that's a great winner. I regret so much. I regret so much already. You have such a better list. All right. Why don't you lead off with best actor? We'll save best actress for the last of the actor categories. Yeah. I mean, uh, of course, of course, you know, we, we bookend it with actress. Yes. Actresses. Cause that's what matters. Yes. Uh, okay. My best actor lineup. George Clooney for Solaris. Uh-huh. Stephen Dorff for Somewhere. Yes. Tony Leung for Lust Caution. Yes. Adam Sandler for The Meyerowitz Stories. Yes. And Ben Stiller for The Meyerowitz Stories. I was wondering whether you might do both of them for Meyerowitz Stories. That's very good. Um, We have a little bit of overlap, but again, not too much. Mine are Bradley Cooper for The Place Beyond the Pines. Peter Dinklage for The Station Agent, Tony Leung for Lust Caution, Al Pacino for Carlito's Way, and Adam Sandler for Meyerowitz Stories. Fantastic. Stiller's uh, good, though. Stiller's good. He's definitely one of my runners-up. 
that monologue at the end, man, like, I'm just always kind of blindsided by it. And I'm like, I'm Ben Stiller's making me cry. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, he, that, I think that's a great performance. Um, uh, my other ones would be Peter Dinklage for the station agent, mm-hmm. Colin Farrell for a home at the end of the world. Uh, Lucas Hedges for Boy Erased and Kevin Klein for Life as a House. Kevin Klein was on my long list for Life as a House. I had, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Flawless. Uh, Colin Farrell for Home at the End of the World. Yeah. My winner, I think, is Adam Sandler for The Myronwood Stories. It is my Uncut Gems. Like, for all <laughs> y'all who loved him in Uncut Gems, Jennifer Aniston, I'm talking to you, that is what The Myronwood Stories is for Man, you were so me. great. I love that. She's uh, Her love for Adam Sandler makes me appreciate Adam Sandler more. I love you, buddy. Um... What, she says something about like your it's it's your magic your magic is real right that's what she says something your magic is real and I love you buddy um it's great if I ever get to uh, accept an award I am just going to word for word quote her about Adam Sandler about you oh my god the 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 dream of my life um I yeah I think everything that people say about Sandler and Uncut Gems is what I say about him and Myrowitz he's a goddamn Very delight true. yeah who is your winner. George Clooney for Solaris. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. He's also on my runners up. Yeah. All right. We have arrived at best actress. We have the most prestigious award. I'm interested to see when we are giving it. I have so many, I don't have a ton of runners up, but the ones that I had to leave off were like painful. Really good. Omissions. Yeah. What are yours? Uh, Viola Davis for widows. Mm hmm. Kirsten Dunst for Melancholia, mm-hmm. Juliette Lewis for Natural Born Killers, mm-hmm. Meg Ryan for When a Man Loves a Woman, mm-hmm. and Tong Wei for Lust Caution. Somewhat unsurprisingly, this is our most overlappy category. We uh, we I overlap. Think that that happened to us before too. We overlap on four out of five. Um, I have Viola Davis for Widows, Juliette Lewis for Natural Born Killers, Meg Ryan for Men when, when a Man Loves a Woman, Tong Wei for Lust Caution. I left. I had to leave Kirsten Dunst off, even though I think she's incredibly impressive in Melancholia, and I opened myself up for all of her homosexual fans to like tear me limb from limb. I had to put in. Speaking of your magic is real, buddy, Jennifer Aniston for Friends with Money. Because it is her I best feel really. I feel like an asshole not having friends with money and the station agent not anywhere on my acting nominees, but it's how yeah. it shaked out. Um, definitely Kirsten was a runner-up for me, as was Julianne Moore for the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. What were your runners-up? Uh, Aniston and Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Emma Thompson for Much Ado About Nothing. It's a good choice. It's a very good choice. I should have really uh, investigated that for acting nominees more, but I'm happy with my with my acting nominees. All right, we each picked a top ten. I did not put mine in order. I put mine in alphabetical order. Ugh, that is that that I that should be illegal. I do not believe in alphabetical <laughs> lists. Though last year I was kind of like these seem kind of close. Maybe I would do alphabetical, but no. no All right, no. No. So why don't then I do my alphabetical and then you do your ranked? Okay. That's All fine. right. Alphabetically, mine are about time. Uh, Richard Curtis is about time. Uh, Nicole Hall of Center's Friends with Money. 
Ang Lee's Lust Caution, Noah Bombach's The Meyerowitz Stories, Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing, uh, Derek Cian France's The Place Beyond the Pines, Steven Soderbergh's Solaris, Sofia Coppola's Somewhere, um, uh, Tom McCarthy's The Station Agent, and my winner, Steve McQueen's Widows. Vidos. 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 Um, fantastic. Um, I have a top ten in numerical order, as it uh, should uh, legally be. All right, uh, all right. Just go. Uh, my number ten, A Home at the End of the World. Very good. Number nine, Les Stations Agents. <laughs> uh, number eight, A Dangerous Method. Mm-hmm. Le Method Dangerous. Oh, my God. Uh, number seven, Friends with Money. Number six, Melancholia. Number five, The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected. Right. Number four, Lust Caution. Number three, Vidos. Number two, Solaris. And number one, much to my surprise, honestly, thought long and hard about this. It was easy to come up with a 10, less easy to come up with a ranking. My number one, I chose Sofia Coppola's Somewhere. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. I was talking to uh, our friend George Severus, who did, did that episode with us uh, recently, and it's. I stand by that. I stand by that as being my favorite Sofia Coppola movie. Doing more and that more... episode uh, confirmed for me that it's her best movie. Yeah. Yes. I am. Uh, I'm resolute in my feeling there. We've covered some really good movies. It's so funny because, like, going through the list, there's so much that's, like, spectacular garbage. And <laughs> I say that with, you know, love and appreciation for It is fun like... when we can celebrate uh, the things that we actually like. Oh, absolutely. That we do here. But again, there's stuff on there where, like, I would have never put it on a top ten list. But, like, movies like 54 and Nuts and um, Life is a House... And cats, you know what I mean? Like movies that mm-hmm. like I couldn't put on a top top ten list, but like I have such affection for in one way or the other. And uh, you know, recalling some of these episodes, if anyone is new or perhaps uh, doesn't listen to every episode, or you know uh, has like fallen off and gotten back on, this can maybe uh, stir you to go back and listen to those episodes you might have missed. Exactly, exactly right. Can I share ten uh, quick superlatives please, that I also came up with? Please you always do. you always want to have some fun uh, other categories. Uh, some of these are a little more basic, some less so. Uh, for best performance in a titular role, I chose Leslie Nielsen's scrotum in the movie Nuts. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Uh, best cameo performance, Sigourney Weaver as Sigourney Weaver in yes. the Meyerowitz story. Yes, the role she was born to play. Uh, best acting, like you're in a bad movie, but it's not a bad movie. It's a good movie, but no, really, it's a bad movie. Uh, Natalie Portman in Goya's Ghosts. Yes. Uh, best single line reading, Lindsay Duncan in About Time. I have no interest in a life without your father. I'm thoroughly uninterested right. in a life without thoroughly your father. Thoroughly uninterested, yes. Uh, best that's Ben moment is the walk in the walk. <laughs> yes. Uh, best sex scene, lust caution. Yeah. Worst sex scene, life as a house. Beats out the shipping news. Wow. I mean, wow. He just like ejaculates. He with, sure like, does. No, sexual no, he definitely does. But you know, 
He's a teenager. Needle. He should know better. He doesn't need to yeah, know better. Just yeah. like, uh, 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 why did we have to see that? Uh. Um, best you don't want to know how close Hayden Christensen came to my ballot for supporting actor. You really don't. You genuinely uh, don't. Okay, that's fine. Uh, maybe I should have done a superlative for best uh, blue tips. Well, then, yes. Uh, he would have ruled. Best needle drop is Cher singing Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Tea with Mussolini. Million percent. Also, best demand for a Picasso uh, is yes. Cher and Tea with Mussolini. <laughs> Where's my Picasso? Where's my damn Picasso? Uh, worst needle drop is Florence and the Machine doing Stand By Me while Natalie Portman and Jacob Tremblay run towards each other in the rain in slow motion in the death of John, death and life of John F. Donovan. Yeah. And then finally, the most important superlative, uh, my Jellicle choice. Uh, the Jellicle choice is cats, obviously. But which cat? No, it's, the movie Cats. No, but which cat is your Jellicle choice from Cats? We did not. Get we already a talked about that in Cats episode. Did we? I mean, did I'm we just sure say Skimbleshanks? Did we both just say Skimbleshanks? We got it? Okay. All right. Probably. Good. It's good. I wish I had come up with a list of superlatives like you. I feel like you did the assignment uh, much better than I did. You are the uh, Kate Blanchett in uh, Streaky. Uh, I make up to my sad noodle of uh, Kevin Spacey. And 150 episodes, guys. Yes. We love you. But especially Thank you for this sticking with us. But Thank yes. you for supporting us. On to the next 50 and uh, and beyond. All right. Um, and on to uh, how we end all of our episodes. Joe, what is that? Yeah, every week we end our episodes with something we call the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are, let's say, a television performance, a voice-only performance, or perhaps a non-acting credit, we will mention that up front to be sporting about it. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, oh boy, here comes the free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. We'll go fishing for some hints. That's right. We'll uh, we'll drag you along to the answer like a house on ice. God. Yes, that's what we will do. And then uh, we will uh, turn up your decapitated head in the bay. No, I don't know. I can't. I can't uh, continue that uh, metaphor. It's a bad metaphor. Much like much of the shipping news, it's a bad metaphor. Okay. We'll poo on the ashes of the correct answer. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, I guess we'll you... resuscitate the answer. Oh the answer will uh, uh, hack up a lung full of water. Of icy, icy uh, maritime province water. Yes, exactly. All right. Is Newfoundland part of the Maritimes or is it, is it its own thing? I don't know. I think Canadians... it's a province of Canada. I think it's a full Oh, it's province. definitely a province. But when you talk about like the Maritime provinces, is it just Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and New Brunswick? Or do they include Newfoundland and Labrador with that? Canadian I should know the answer from this because I don't think I've told you this. My people do hail from Newfoundland. Wait, is that true? Or are you just... Yes, that's true. I didn't know that. On my father's father's side, may he rest, uh, that family came from Newfoundland. Very interesting. My mom's side of the family... It does track that I am canonically uh, Canadian lineage. My mom's family uh, comes from Quebec originally. That's very interesting. You would be very French. Yes. I, I'm Anyway. Guessing. All right. Would you like to give a guess first? I will. The IMDb game. Guess first. Okay. So, naturally, naturally, I figured you would like me to go into 
the uh, history of Scott Bear, whether or not in Jason a giant Bear sweater. Yes, Jason Bear, whatever. Bear, not whatever. Put some respect on I his know. torso. I mean, his name. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so I went into the surprisingly large Roswell cast. Uh, yeah, and I found for you one Miss Emily De Raven. Oh, the Australian actress Emily. Controversial DeRaven. Emily DeRaven, who shows up on that show and just wrecks everything for our main couple. She's the reason why Colin Hanks's character ends up dead. It's a whole thing. I almost gave you Colin Hanks because his known for is unwell. Oh no! All right, Emily DeRaven. I wonder if Chet Hanks has a, a known for. I don't need to know that. that. I don't need to know that Chet Hanks has three more known fours than Glenn Close does. I really don't. Um, <laughs> anyway, you do have one television show for Emily DeRaven. So just one. So we, she's not remembered for Roswell. She's got to be. It's got to be Lost. Yeah, one of Lost's most uh, completely disposed of uh, characters who stayed on the show for a long time. A lot. Well, and was like absent for a while, but then they brought her back for like that last season, and she like went bad or something. It was a whole thing. Um, poor Emily DeRaven. Okay, so but yes, uh, the reason why you picked lost. Emily DeRaven is obviously so you could get me to mention "Remember Me," Secret Nine Eleven. I did choose her for Secret Nine Eleven. Of course movie. you did. Of course you did. Um, all right. Here's now where it gets to the point where I'm like, what else? Because like, she's in Brick. She's like the girl who like spurs him on to try and solve this mystery but she's not in brick a lot but i would still hazard a guess that she's probably credited high up on that cast list so i'm gonna guess brick oh my god if you get a perfect score for emily de raven i won't because i can't think of another emily de raven performance now <laughs> well good because i was gonna say you need a new co-host because i will refuse to play this game with you ever again if you can <laughs> nab a perfect score on emily de raven all right i'm three for three i genuinely beyond if i can't do another television show like what other movies was she possibly in I think I've exhausted all of the movies that I've seen Emily DeRaven in. I'm positive you've seen this movie. I'm not giving you any. No, you can't. You can't give me any hints. Um, Emily DeRaven. Like, after Lost, she must have gotten a few, like, everybody in Lost got some roles off of that. Um... I'm going to have to duff this and go for the hints because I, I, I'm I just going to guess. Remember me four times. Just, I'll, guess, I'll just keep guessing remember me. I mean, was she in <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats? No. Scrolling back. I don't think so. Was she in... All right, so that's one wrong guess. Was she in... Trying to think of like early teens movies. Was she in Margaret? No, she was not. I didn't think um, so. All right, give me some hints. One movie that she was in that I completely forgot that she was in it is uh, Public Enemies, but it's not Public Enemies. Also forgot uh, that. This movie is 2006. I will say it is a remake. 2006 remake The Departed? Probably no. Not. 
Uh, a horror remake. The Grudge? No. This is a horror director who's like kind of slowly oh. building a cult around this director. Is it? I can't remember. Is it like the uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake? It is The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. I did actually know that she was in that now that I think about that. The I've never seen Hills Have Eyes movie. remake is good and fucking Who is brutal, that director? Uh, Alexandre Aja. Aja, right. Yes. Who exactly. also did the alligator movie that people really like. He yep. just had a Netflix horror movie. Yeah. But he I. He had done uh, one of the Piranha movies that I liked. The, uh... And my problematic fave, High Tension. Right. The movie that I'm like, fave. guys, this horror movie is great. I cannot stand by some of the offensive shit in this movie. Of course but, not, like, but it is well done. The twist and it's in the scary. movie is not only so stupid, but also offensive. Offensive. Um, but it's a. Well, well-made movie. It is. Uh, up until the twist, it's like, this is one of the best fucking horror movies of yeah. the past 25 years. Yes. Um, talk about grisly and brutal. Uh, all right. That's a good, that's an interesting known for. I'm glad I went three for three at least. So um, very good. All right. For you, I, as I often do, travel down the path of the director. So I followed Lassa Hallstrom upstream um, to... New England, where all the, the, the princes of Maine reside. Um, ah, all of those princes of Maine. Those I did not choose one of the princes of Maine, because it turns out we have done Tobey Maguire before. We have never done Charlize Theron, surprisingly. Oh, interesting. Yes, so I'm going to challenge you with Charlize Theron. Uh, Monster. Yes, her Oscar-winning role in Monster. Mad Max Fury Road. Furiosa. Yes, correct. Atomic Blonde should be, but no. Mm. There's got to be another genre movie. I mm. no voice performances, by the way. Right. I don't think. Um, I don't think Young Adult is there. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Tully is there. But I'm not going to go there yet. And, okay, so which genre movie? I mean, Hancock is fun, but people don't remember that movie. Snow White and the Huntsman is, like, all about her. Prometheus, I feel like, shows up places. But what? I think she even gets, like, a with or an and credit for that movie. So maybe not Prometheus. I feel weirdly that, like, Eon Flux is there. Huh. I'm not giving you a free guess. I'm going to make of you those, guess. Of those, I'm going to guess Snow White and the Huntsman. It is Snow White and the Huntsman. Okay. Um, then my next one is going to be Prometheus. Incorrect. Not Prometheus. Mm. What's my year? Well, you need one more wrong guess. Oh, no, wait. Did you guess something else wrong? Yeah, I guessed Atomic Blonde. Oh, right. Yes. All right. So your missing year is 2018. Oh, that's Tully. It is Tully. Well done. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I would have never, never, never thought that Tully would make it over young adult. That's very surprising to me. I mean... Uh, I feel like there's a lot of like probably photos for that movie that get her name attached. She's globe nominated for that movie. Yeah. 
It's the, good. The search engine optimization would probably. Yeah. She's first build. I think she produced it. She. I was going to say she is a. She's listed and her known for as a producer for both Tully and Monster. So that probably helps for. Oh, uh, there you go. For both of those, yes. Very good. Good job. Spectacular. All right. Our 150th episode on the books. Guys, we're here to stay. <laughs> Long history. Yeah, I think we've decided. I think we're going to keep going with this. We're going to keep going. What if we were like, guys, surprise, this is our last episode. This is our episode. last episode. Oh my God, it would make me so sad. Don't even say that. No, I've always said our last episode should be for your consideration because it will of be. our yes. opening music. Yeah, exactly. That might be a bummer last episode. It would be, but we would do, we would. But it's also an things. episode about like, that movie is about what we do here. Yes, so. exactly. Exactly. Okay, so one thing about for your consideration now that it comes into mind, because like the twist is that the male actor gets nominated. We don't talk about how Home for Purim pulls a Michael Shannon. How so? Because like both of Michael Shannon's nominations, more oh, so for Revolutionary Road, with no like, buzz, yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. zero buzz, gets nominated, but was talked about for everyone else. That's true. That's not how it works. That's not how it goes. I guess that's the comedy of it, but that's not how it works, my friends. It worked for Michael Shannon. I guess. Yeah. Twice. All right. Twice. Yeah. All right. I think that is our episode, our 150th episode. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, which of course you do, you can check us out on Tumblr at this head Oscar buzz.tumblr.com and follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Joe Reed spelled the same way. All right, and you can find me writing all about the shipping news and telling you, boy, I know exactly what you did on my boat on Twitter <laughs> and Letterboxd God. at Chris V. File at F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review and like us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five Star Review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, even though that app is totally fucked now. Now. Totally um, fucked. Fix it, Steve. Um, from the grave, it, Steve. They keep making it worse. Like every few days, they redo the app to make it worse. Fix it, Steve. It is the box office mojo of apps. Honestly, anyway, yeah. If you give us a five star review there, regardless, it does help us out with visibility. So please haul this house of a podcast across the ice to even more listeners. Oh, I just like swallowed. I my was voice. gonna say something happened. Uh, it was the ice. The ice did it. Uh-huh. I'm drowning like pedal. Uh, but that's all for this week. We'll, we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye.